I'm Ira Housewort, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. Hey, hey, hey. So we've got Ira Housewort in the chair with me to do this interview. Man, it's so cool to have a guy like Ira Housewort on the podcast. Ira, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. That's awesome to hear. You know, if if somehow you guys have not checked out Ira Housewort, go ahead and check him out. He's a Forge and Fire champion, one hell of a knife maker, one hell of a blacksmith. Ira, what's going on in your workshop this week? Anything fun? Uh, this week, it's pretty simple handrails, um, but they're, they've got some unique joinery on them. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so tell us all about this joinery. What's, what's different about it? Is there well, some sort of a challenge? So just with on them? the top, just to try to break up the rail to make it a little more unique, I've, I'm doing some heavy riveting. And, with, and I have a, I picked up a rivet gun off of eBay a few years ago. <laughs> that can either the, be really good or really bad. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. Really oh, good. Oh, wow. And so, like, everybody knows the picture of, like, Norman Rockwell, you know, Rosie the Riveter. She's sitting yeah. there eating her sandwich with the big rivet gun. So this is, I bought that style of rivet gun. Nice. And, uh, it, and a lot of people have never seen it run, you know. So that the same week, I, I make this video of that, and then I quick put it on a reel, and it's like as this morning, I'm just it's blowing up. So, holy cow! So you you're another one that has had a um, Instagram reel blow up. Yeah, this is definitely the first one on Instagram. I've you know I don't really do very much on on Instagram really, but this one, yeah, apparently they want to see it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking right now. It's at 817,000 views. That's that's a solid viral video right there. Yeah. So what is it? You you guys are doing a rivet in there. You know what's what else is going on in there? It's just you doing a rivet. What's going on? Yeah. So that's just that's James, my apprentice. He's been with me for f- four years now, and uh, no, just heating up the top of the the tenon joint of a rail, and uh, he's just setting the tops of them. Super simple, but you know that's something that very few people out in the regular world has seen. So I can see how you know it'd be you know interesting, grab people's attention, and make them want to watch it. Yeah, no, I yeah, I don't think you're. It's hard to find a video of one of those hammers even working. You know, so that was kind of fun. Well, it's also something that you probably do on a very regular basis, and it's just kind of like a oh yeah, I'm setting another rivet, big deal. You know. No, absolutely. I didn't. I don't really think too much of it. I mean, I, it's still a cool tool, but we've literally made a thousand feet of handrail with this thing, so it's not that. <laughs> big. It's it's kind of old news. Well, old news to people like us, yeah. but you know, super interesting to the to the regular, you know, regular person out on Instagram. But yeah, so you have been on Forge and Fire. We want to talk all about the your experience with it. Um, so you are, of course, the Fortune Fire Champion, Season 9, Episode 4. Go check that out because it's a great episode. Um, when I had Neil from Maximus Knives on, we talked about his experience and how, you know, they kind of cut things differently than the way it actually happens. Uh-oh, I, I hear a sigh coming out of you. Did you have that experience as well? No, no, I wasn't a sigh. No, I. Oh, okay. they, they definitely edited <laughs> it. I, they actually gave me a really friendly edit, though. Yeah. Like, they didn't show me messing up or anything, so... <laughs> I wonder. I, if I got that's... lucky. I think. Did you actually mess up, or did, did you just? No, not I made give them little anything? mistakes. I gave little mistakes. You know, I cut my finger. I I started to set the choil on the knife on the wrong side. I don't know why. Just <laughs> <the cameras. laughs> and I, I mean, I think I cussed and like, oh, what am I do that? And then 
nothing. That they just they just made me out to look like a star. It was hey, like, man. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like if I was in that position, I'd take it every way to Sunday. No, I'll know? take it. I'll take it because I was totally <laughs> nervous going on because like, oh my gosh, what if? What if I do mess up? But no. I think a lot of that is just you have the clock looming over you and you have all these people watching you. So it's just natural to make, you know, stupid boneheaded mistakes if you're not like, yeah. if you know, if you don't live in that world, it's it's very foreign to most people. No, absolutely. And it was, but it takes, the whole process takes quite a while. So, I mean, once the cameras really started rolling, I'd been, I'd kind of just kind of become numb to some of it. So I was like, all right, let's get going. <laughs> There you um, go. My most nerve-wracking point was at home, loading my bag, getting ready to go. I was supposed to be on an episode a week later, and then they called me up as an alternate, which I guess oh, they had geez. the right to do. And then, like, hey, can you be on a plane in the neighboring town, which is 45 minutes away, at in an hour and a half or something? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so I loaded my bag that quick and took off. Holy cow. I mean, first of all – you get to like take your own hammers and stuff, right? Yeah, you did. You can take your stuff, and I I opted not to. I kind of was like, why don't I just play on the same playing field and I'll just use whatever they have in there? I took my leather apron, and that was it. Um, just your leather apron. Leather apron. I had a marking pin in the thing. They took that out because I didn't specify it, I guess, before. But jeez. Oh, um, no, but so I, you know, you're not, you're not supposed. I sign all these like non-disclosure agreements that are like in pretty intensive but i think i can talk about a lot of this but i the first episode you're supposed to make a weapon at home and take it there and that episode shown so you could saw what i, I was supposed to be on mm. and then so i already mailed the i mailed my first blade off oh and it's a big chopper that's on my instagram page mailed it off and on the way back from the shipping center i get a phone call from a producer saying hey can you be in montrose in an hour and a half oh jeez. <laughs> so, See, I I feel like you're at a disadvantage because you know if you're if you're really thinking and you're being thoughtful about it, you're going to pack your bag. Oh well, I can bring this, I can bring that. To try to rush all of that into like an hour before you have to leave to get catch that flight, that seems a little ridiculous. Oh, it was absolutely, it was horrible. And then I was I was at, I mean I was a I was a wreck. My wife was trying to kind of calm me down and. So that, the plus side is I think it peaked and I only could go down from there and I had to mellow out. Um, but I also yeah, feel, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that, that's it. So I kind of feel like if you're going into that experience, you know, you're worried about putting your best foot forward. You're worried about how you're going to, you know, show on camera and to have it start off on such a bad foot. I mean, I, I do think that maybe that was a good thing because, you know, you're already flustered and you get all of that nerves, nervous energy out of you before you even make it there. No, I think it did. I think it, it totally had to, you know, because I finally I was like, OK, I peaked then. So I have to, was, I, you know, I have to be mellow out. <laughs> but and oh, then but they also, you know, they, they try to pick you with your group that you should go with. Sure. And uh, yeah, so I was, you know, supposed to be on another one. All the producers figured that I should fit in this one episode better, but they put me into the other one, which turned into the sheet metal challenge. Yeah, and you absolutely kicked ass on it. I, again, you know, I, you don't know how much of it is in the editing, how much they, like, well, they already knew that you're going to be champion, so we want to make you look the absolute best out of all of them, but it really seemed like all the way through watching the episode, you were, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. The, yeah, first round I did really good on. 
you know, and yeah. that's they they didn't show too much of that. But I think Forge and Fire is really pretty good about showing all four guys or ladies um, a decent amount of play time. You know, so the first sure. guy that gets eliminated, they're going to make sure they play him quite a bit. Plus, there's also drama because clearly something's going wrong and he's made a couple bad decisions. And um, so they don't show my first round, but the first round I was actually probably the most proud of. Um, you know, I did some solid work on there and made some good decisions. So if you were to do it all over again, what would you do different? Oh, with my first round blade, I would have I would have made a more of a canister out of the, the sheet metal. The 16 gauge kind of wanted to fold a little bit. It still worked, but it would have been totally perfect if I had taken two pieces and capped it. Um, mm. But that's really all I got. I mean, there's a few little things I would have I would have made a pommel. No, I made sure. the pommel. Sorry, made the guard because I didn't know they were going to require the guard. Because, you know, but they, some of the other blades are just straight through. So if you're trying to stab something, it'd totally slide down and open up the judge's hand. So I can understand right. why. But right. I had enough time, I would have made a guard and the pommel in the first round with my excess steel. Right, for sure. For and sure. shape them. I thought a forge was open in the second round and they shut the forges off. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I haven't, I haven't been thinking about this for a while. This has been a while. I mean, this has been a year ago that almost, well, it was in December, I guess I left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting because, you know, it, it's it's interesting to look back on such a, a crazy experience like that because when you're in it, it feels, I imagine it feels very tunnel vision. You know, you're, you're just focused on what you, what you have ahead of you. And then once you look back, it's like, oh, shoot, you know, there's this little thing I could have done different. There's this little thing. But it seems like, again, you, you can't really tell because of the, the crazy editing. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's just a really interesting experience. Um, if you were to get the opportunity, would you go back on the show? Oh, I've thought about it. Um, yeah, I probably would have to. I mean, when yeah. else do guys like us get a chance to go on TV? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, they're, they're looking for blacksmiths and bladesmiths. So sure, I don't sure. I bet I don't get asked back, but you never know. I don't know, man. It seems it. Ugh. I I can keep heaping on all of the accolades and whatnot, but you know, I I just want to say that it was a very good episode and you did incredibly well. So moving on, you are mostly. It seems like you do more blacksmithing than you do knife making. Is that correct? Yeah, I absolutely do more. You know, decorative fabrication, blacksmithing, sculpture work. The knife thing was just kind of a fun thing I did. I had a guy come in the shop and made a couple knives in my shop, and I was like, ah, I could do that, and wasn't really into it. Next thing I knew, I decided to make a Damascus kukri, and was like, ooh, this is kind of fun. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then the nephew saw it and was like, he was a huge Forge and Fire fan, and he was like, you got to do that, do it. And then, then I started like seriously quick making them. I was like, okay, now I need to make a bunch of blades to get you know to be ready for the show. Sure. I mean, you know, it seems like you were trying to keep off the, the knife making and then all of a sudden you got a little bit, in, you got a taste and you got hooked a little bit. Yeah, totally fun. Um, you know, it's just, it's harder to make money with knives though. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I make... a thousand percent feel you there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, they, they, there's a lot of overhead and a knife and um, you put a lot of time into a blade and and it's like you, you can rough forge it to shape, and it's like, wow, this is pretty quick and easy. And then that's when the really wor the work starts on a knife. Right, right, um, for sure, sure. But yeah, so mostly handrails, is you know, fireplaces, and 
for speak. big trophy homes is what I primarily end up working in. You can probably see in the photos. <laughs> I was going to bring up on your Instagram, you have this log set. Like it looks like it's about to be a campfire, but yeah. it looks like what on earth is going on with this? Because it's so incredibly detailed. It's, you know, to, to let the people know it's, it's on his Instagram. If you check out, um, Ira Housework, what, what's your Instagram handle so people can find so you? So it's just, it's just Ira Housework, one word, Ira Housework. And then I think Facebook's the same and my website's coloradoblacksmith.com. I love the fact that you just went with your name for an Instagram handle. So it's so incredibly easy to find you. Yeah. I mean, there's no other housework, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so none who spell their name correctly anyways yeah that's right <laughs> Grandit, yeah um but oh. no i just yeah i thought it was easy and hand and i could just say my name and it, and then you can also start google typing it in and it bounces right up there it is but yeah the log set's just a fabricated steel logs you know to make them light and then uh the, the fire pit is a galvanized coated galvanized tank and that just got mailed off to san diego Interesting. Interesting. So what was the, what was the story behind it? Was, did they, did they have something for like, are they setting up like the steel, not a fireplace fireplace? What's going on there? Yeah. It's just an outdoor fire pit. Um, okay. just a gas, natural gas line going out to their patio. But then that it's not, I mean, I, the, the video is not ideal. I'd like to, you know, on site, they'd have these fake rocks underneath that or fake coals and with probably a really cool backyard and a swimming pool. But yeah, it's on just a fancy house down by the beach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still interesting to look yeah. at these logs and see the amount of detail in them. They honestly look like, like, like you logs. There? You just chop. Oh, can you hear me? Did I lose you, Ira? What happened? Can you hear me? Uh Oh, technical difficulties. <laughs> oh man. Sorry. I don't know what happened there. Can you hear me or no? I can hear you now. Oh, great. So <laughs> I don't know what happened there because I could hear you the entire way through. We can continue the inter interview if you're all right. Yeah, I'm good with it. Totally good. Sweet. So what I was saying is I, the um, the intricacy, like the, the details on these logs, if you were to walk past this, I would assume that they were real. Yeah, and that's the cool thing. You, you start doing like a sloppy weld on a piece of steel and just kind of start grooving around, and it starts looking like bark. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of what I do, nothing is that difficult, you know. It's a lot of just little teeny pieces and thinking it out and planning it and forging areas. Like the end of the logs are like saw cuts off the, you know, jagged plasma cut cuts off of different size pipes, Schedule 40 pipes, to so start sleeving each other. And, yeah, it has a great look to it. Yeah, it's really impressive for sure. And then you you've done other sculpt sculptural sculptural sculptural. I I don't know why I couldn't say that <laughs> for a second. Uh, like this this um, tarantula and the scorpion. It, again, the realism on them is amazing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, again just been doing it for a while. <laughs> so what what's the uh, is there a story behind it that what was it an order for somebody or did you just want to make this you know scorpion and you know yeah so these are situation? these are details on a big hand railing gotcha. um, yeah the scorpion's just kind of a fun detail they have some young boys in the house and they're like Ooh, let's put a scorpion on the bottom corner of the rail and <laughs> and then the spider went to a larger river park bridge that i had made and that posts on there too and that's that's a, a larger project i've been on for years 
Is that the one that we were talking about on the uh, the podcast, on the regular Work For It podcast? Yes. Yeah. So that, that kind of element is it's kind of what I'm known for. I like doing just a little bit of all-around metal work, but I'm kind of becoming more and more known for these sculptural details in large railings and what got you into it like what was there a was there a beginning to wanting to do sculptural blacksmithing no no i mean i've I've always been pretty good in art class and growing up and then i went off to be a welder and then i started kind of just dabbled and made a few little animals and people really you know really liked looking at it and there you have it and then made a couple rails just loaded down with a bunch of natural little elements in it and that really sold well for me Hey, man, if you found the thing that you like doing and people like it, you got to keep rolling with it, right? Yeah. And I, what I really like is just a really wide variety of metalwork. I don't want to just do one thing. I want to do some fabrication. I mean, I, I'll do an irrigation box once in a while just to mix it up. I, I want to do a little bit of everything. I definitely don't want to just do, you know, a whole bunch of knives. I don't want to do just a bunch of, well, even spiders. Uh, it all gets kind of old, you know, keep it exciting. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I feel like, you know, doing these sculptures, doing these handrails, you know, really becoming such a generalist in general kind of keeps you from getting pigeonholed into, okay, well, I only make this one thing over and over and over again. And yeah, I can see I can see how that would be an advantage for you. Have you always been that way where, you know, you've you always you never want to get pigeonholed into one specific thing. You always want to try to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, I mean, this is what I've been doing forever, though. I've always just been, you know, a metal worker slash rancher. We have cows, too. But um, as when I'm doing, yeah, just try to keep doing unique projects. And if somebody comes with a more exciting one, I, I definitely jump on those jobs. And Ah, so there's there's the trick to get onto your books is come up with something crazy. Yeah, sometimes. But then, you know, you don't you don't want to be on like friend status because then it takes forever to get to it. <laughs> probably squeaky that. wheel exciting project i don't know yeah that probably gets and the ones that pay a little bit more too i probably push them ahead wow that's just natural that's just business yeah. right there so is there a big project you have coming up that you're super excited to start on um i have just i mean i've got i've got a few hundred feet of handrail that are that's pretty good for through the winter and in the spring i'm actually gonna i think i'm gonna bid the largest thing i've ever thought about bidding and that's it's a bridge over the local river and it's a it's it's like either i'm it's gonna work out really well for me or i'm gonna go broke but it's it's a (laughs) 200 200 feet across and then it's like 40 foot embankments on the side so it's it's gonna be giant that's massive how long do you think 560 feet of handrail i don't know i'm gonna have to hire a few more people um but a lot of just big fabrication, you know, like you see these big rusty core tin bridges and parks and, you know, what downtown, they just, the local government here, the county commissioner contacted me and was like, well, we got you willing to do this. You want to tackle a, a real one. So it'll be one of those with like a decorative rail on it. So are you already dreaming up the, the details in it? Like, is, is there yeah. something specific that you're going for? Yeah, definitely dreaming it up. I mean, it's an arched frame and, you know, our old, our community is this agricultural community with some mining heritage. And so it might have like some train cars on one side and a bunch of 
you know, just maybe vegetables and plants on the one side and nod to the ag. And, no, but just a super fun project. And I'll be able to tackle it with a lot of local people. And, and it should be just like one of the neatest bridges in Colorado. Oh, 1,000%. So. I mean, <laughs> that's it's going to be incredibly cool if you get it. I'm excited to see how it comes together. You're going to have to make a bunch of posts on Instagram about it. Yeah, I will. Well, I think that's all I'll be doing for six months to a year. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the fun of it, though, because like this can be kind of, a, you know, your your masterpiece, your your big, you know, year long project. And at the end, we get a big reveal of all of the crazy things you've done with it. Yeah. That'll be so cool. So let's go back. You you have been a rancher, you said, all of your life? Yeah, so my, well, my great-granddad, I live on my great-granddad's farm. Right. And so he was, he would raise cows, my granddad was, and then my dad also raised cows, but he came off, became a veterinarian, was, so was a cow vet and rancher, and finally, just, it's kind of a little bit harder to just totally make a living doing that, so I got into the metalwork and started a little, basically a fab shop in my granddad's small little tractor shop, and then I started enlarging that over the years, and sure sure so ranching is a very very hard life for sure it's a lot of really hard work and like you said it doesn't always pay at a crazy amount because you know it's it's just things come up shit happens you know it's it's a it's a rough way to live but it, it definitely makes you hardened for sure um getting into that there's not a whole lot of time i imagine to just do like little art piece projects while you're growing up working on the ranch correct no i didn't really do tackle into the art projects i mean my art when i was a kid growing up might have been just drawing and art class in school sure um, sure but yeah it started later on in life and then then somewhere in college there i started kind of dabbling with a little bit of blacksmithing and, and whatnot and and i speaking to my hard tough rancher grandfather i made a flower in his shop and then it was just a just a repair shop and and I brought the flower into him to show my flower. And he was like, Ira, that's a little on the dainty side, don't you think? You know? <laughs> I was like, he didn't want to have his grandson making flowers, you know? So. <laughs> he oh, came to, goodness. he was okay with it, but I think he was more just giving me trouble. Right. He would be more into like the spiders and the scorpions and the. No, I don't know, man. I think he'd have been more okay with like making something functional that works on the ranch, you know? Okay. All right. Make a horseshoe, put it on the horse, make an axe. (laughs) (laughs) No, but he he was good with everything. He was super supportive. And then once he started seeing what I was doing, he was like, well, our welder was just an old Lincoln AC buzz box. And he's like, we should get a real welder. And he went and bought a better welder for us. And that's my first TIG welder. And uh, so he got into it, knew, knew we needed a better oxyacetylene torch and bought that for me. And So he, he very much was just giving you a little bit of fritz and then was very supportive. That's awesome. Yeah, very supportive of it. But, I mean, yeah, I think the downside he was, he maybe was a little worried that his son might just be making flowers and whatnot. But, <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't, I don't, he definitely didn't think I would be able to make a living doing this, I don't think. It was probably more for fun. Man, I feel like that right there, that sentiment from, you know, your parents or your grandparents, when you first get into something that's a little off the beaten path, like doing, you know, knives or artwork like that, everybody says, you know, it's fun hobby, but you're never going to make a living on it. 
yeah, my dad was totally that. My dad was like talking about artists, you know, I was like, you know how much money an artist makes, uh, you know, and, <laughs> you know, not very much. And, and uh, no, I've, I think I've proven him wrong. I think this is, you know, I've been creating a pretty good name for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it really just comes back to, are you willing to work for it? Yeah, absolutely. Work for it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to slide in the, you know, the name there. No, work it in, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. So what was, what was the, was there a point at time where you, like, you got to the point where your parents were like, oh, okay, so this is, this is not just bullshit that he's doing on the weekends. Yeah. And I, I think people coming into their clinic and being like, oh my gosh, are you related to Ira Houseward? And then it was like, <laughs> dad, all of a sudden it's like having to take, like, oh my gosh, oh geez, okay, and everybody talking about it, so. Sure, sure. Super supportive of it now. Just they weren't sure at first. Well, I mean, probably that's just... needed to be welding on tractors or something. Well, that's just natural as a parent, I imagine, where it's like, you know, your son wants to do something that is, you know, the vast majority of people that go into that path fails. And you don't, you know, you don't want to see that. You would much rather them take the easy job that, well, not easy job, but the reliable job that you're going to get paid for on a regular basis. Yep, absolutely. So let's let's go back even further. Like, was there something like in your childhood that made you like, I guess we kind of already talked about a little bit where you, you excelled in art classes. Was there anything before the art classes where you like that push you towards the making, you know, lifestyle? Or is there anything like that where it was like, oh, my gosh, I made this one thing. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know, making was something I could do. No, looking back on it, I think it's clear back to like kindergarten. You know, I think in art class in kindergarten, I, I remember doing a project and and the, the teacher coming up to it and holding in front of the class, showing the class how not to do the project. You know? Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and looking back on it, I think it was just me like wanting to like do shading and whatnot. And then all of a sudden I learned how to play by the rules. And by the time I was in first grade, I was the kid that they would pull up the project in front of the class and be like the opposite, like show you, this is how you do it. I was the first one done. I was the one hanging on the wall. And, and then, Man. you know, art teachers were having me, you know, would love to see my drawings and whatnot, which I don't really like drawing anymore, but I am pretty good at it. I'm um, sure it's hard to think back that far, but was it that, you know, that teacher holding up that project saying, this is how you don't do this. Was that like the, the, Oh, I am going to show you up, teacher. I'm gonna... Yeah, I might have. It might have been. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I think I just, you know, I just didn't understand. But my eye wanted to do some crazy details to it and, like, take it to this next level. And then mm. high school shop was really big for me. Um, okay. High school metal shop. I just started playing in there, and then I found out, started playing with the welder. Okay. And then at that time... And then somewhere in there, I did kind of do a few little art projects in the high school art class in the shop class and made a little made a little elk sculpture that Ooh. I still have out of nice. wire. And, um, and then, yeah, that's it. I just I kind of decided I wanted to, I really liked welding. And then that shop, that high school counselor, you know, it's senior year looking at his kids that were probably not college bound and like, what do we do with them? And he's like, hey, do you know about this welding welding college, you know? down the road here and why don't you think about doing that manufacturing and so then i spent three years doing that yeah and it seems like you you must have excelled at it because you went from the classroom where it's like you know i imagine it's it, it wasn't 
it wasn't your jam in the classroom, but as soon as you got to the welding class, you excelled or you excelled in the workshop at high school and you you then went to a welding class, which is all just welding. I imagine you just absolutely took off in it. Yeah, I did. And then that's the first when I first really started taking schooling serious, too. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. I was looking in books. I was reading about welding. I was looking at settings, you know, memorizing belting temperatures. And and then I saw the machining also at the college. And I was like, okay, I think maybe I want to be a machinist. And then started taking machining classes. And, and then I got lucky. My welding teacher actually started a decorative blacksmith shop on the side. And he offered me a job that f- summer. And... uh well, first he he had offered a decorative blacksmithing class at night, and I took that and I walked in there and I saw these crazy things being made, and I didn't even see the forges lit yet, like it was a snake made out of a rasp, and I had no idea how to do that. And the second I saw that, I was like, "This is what I'm going to be doing." Like I I didn't, you know. And then, uh, then we lit the forge up and pulled hot metal out of a forge, and then like everyone else, it was amazing. <laughs> and that's, well, so, you you. You saw something that you thought, oh my gosh, how in the world could this even happen? And then you did it. I imagine that was just like a drug to you. Yeah, it totally was. And then just keep working on that. Figure out how they made those. Then start pushing it and try to come up with your own ideas. And Sure, sure. So, you know, it seems like, you know, you, you found your niche and you pursued it. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, I have to hyper focus on every single last little thing. I've got to learn. Like you said, you have to learn all the settings. You have to learn every little detail. And it's just like you, you, you found your, you found your passion. Yep. That's awesome. That's, I mean, I feel like that's what everyone's looking for in life. So it's awesome that you're able to find that right out of high school. No, it was great. And I, I guess, yeah, like most of my friends don't find it that early. It seemed like they kind of had to go find themselves. And maybe I just got lucky that I just stumbled into the right people and pretty much knew what I was doing by the age of 18 or 19. Sure, sure. So how long have you had an apprentice now? Um, well, as long as I've, almost as long as, I, so my, my shop, I think I'm in year like 21 with my own business. I work for Daryl, the guy that my old college instructor for two or three years. Gotcha. And then, so I'm on like year 21, I think. And with big decorative metal work, you really have to have help to do installations. Sure. And in the first years, I definitely did some that were big and heavy. But since then, I'd have a little help here and there. Um, so the last 15 years, I probably had a dedicated apprentice. And James is the guy I have now who's probably my best one I've ever had by far. He's super talented at it and we're making some pretty fun stuff together do you i guess i've never had anybody work under me before is is it ever a worry like oh my gosh i am i gonna have something for him to work on this day or this week you know you have to kind of plan out their day along with yours yeah no first thing in the morning i we we still do that both one it's no big deal like this summer i had three other guys and i lost two of them to to go to college all of a sudden and then one guy decided to become a hunting guide and so that when you have more than one it seems like it was way more stressful for me but one i it's not that big a deal and james has been doing it long enough he knows the projects so like he's in the shop right now pounding away <laughs> so while you're while we're sitting down and talking he's doing the real work in the background he's doing the real work you know and, <laughs> and, and if you see my instagram portfolio thing you're gonna be like oh it's no it's a lot of james too. okay and All james right. is so, on there too but yeah how long has he been an apprentice for you now 
I think three or four years. Okay. And I'd like, I've been trying to bug him to, you know, jump on Forge and Fire. He's, I don't know if he's, he's finished out like one or two knives all the way by himself. He's, I mean, he's hand sanded with me and fit some handles and whatnot, but I don't know if he wants to do it. So I'm trying to talk him into it. Talk about seeing him progress over those three years. I'm sure, you know, you've seen him grow as, as a blacksmith, as a fabricator, just under those three years that you've had him. Yeah, no, it's fun. He was, he started out, he was, uh, you know, I don't know, 20, 21 year old, young guy. Uh, just got married. Um, he has two kids now. Uh, but no, he just is, is sword. He didn't know anything. He had never ran a welder, and all of a sudden, you just start chipping away at it, and all of a sudden, he's doing a little bit of everything. He didn't go to college or school for it, but um, very, you know, good blacksmith now. Well, yeah, he did. He went to the school of Ira yeah. Housework. <laughs> <laughs> So do you see him, you know, I mean, you kind of worked under a person for a while and then you started your own thing. Do you see him going down that path as well? Yeah, possibly down the road. We'll see if he wants to go to that next level. I mean, he also sees some of the bad side of the business, you know, like he gets a paycheck every Friday. I get paid. It may take eight weeks sometimes to get a rail, you know, <laughs> paid sure. for. Like, sure. And so the larger business stuff is stressful. Watching prices of steel explode. <laughs> not being ready for that it was a yeah. tough year <laughs> it was yeah. a tough year in metal work um yeah especially with you you're doing such big projects that you're yeah. you're scheduling these things out i'm sure months years in advance so you you schedule them out with steel at this price and then all of a sudden you're doing it with steel three four times more expensive yeah and then you also get programmed in your mind like okay this is what this job costs in your head and you're like okay right. no problem and you do it and then all of a sudden wait a minute Oh, God, the, the price of steel go. has doubled. Like, why did this not? And everything else, you know, the welding supplies blew up. Everything blew up, like, in life. And so figuring out the rates this this past couple of years has been, has been pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this is just a couple-year anomaly and things kind of calm back down, but, you know. It, yeah, it, prices it, never go down, though. Yeah, <laughs> We're here well. now. Once they're up, once they're up, they're going to stay high. Yeah, um, well. I don't see anything coming down. We just got to get used to what, you know, used to be a $100 rail is now a $150, $200 foot rail. That's the way of the world right now. That's just the way yeah. it is. So is there any other business pains that you've you've kind of had to learn going out on business by yourself so early? No, I think that business stuff just always, you know, it's just a constant battle trying to charge enough. Um, and I think, you know, probably we all have to figure out how to do that. Uh, you're trying to put a price on your goods. That's right. the number one. This got to be the number one for me, always. What do you find? Like, obviously, there's there's the the tried and true algorithm of time plus material plus however much per hour you're going to pay yourself equals the price. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you, but I personally, every time I finish a knife that isn't going to a customer. And when I'm done, when I go to put a price tag on it, Emily is telling me, oh, you are totally undercutting yourself. That's that's a bullshit price. I, I always have that tendency to go shoot low instead of high. Do you find the same? Yeah, totally. And I think, I, uh, I think I'm probably too nice a guy on it. I'm trying to be generous and fair. And, and my wife just, yeah, sounds just like Emily. Maybe, <laughs> to, maybe to like another level or two. Sure, uh, sure. But it, it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. So do you have something, do you have a, you know, do you have a system in place where, you know, 
you kind of you you figure out that price in a better way than just you know shoot from the hip oh well you know this should probably go for x amount of money no i usually just honestly shoot for the hip um, <laughs> kind of look at the price i guess at like how long is this going to take what can we do it for and then try to figure out the price materials um and then just kind of wing it you know sometimes it works out better for me than others you're also in kind of a precarious situation because you're bidding for for projects. So there's always a guy that's going to want to do it for cheaper. Yeah, and it, it, there is. and But, you know, I don't know. Sometimes that's not such a bad deal. Like I, have really good, I have a really good name built up for myself on the Western Slope right now. So people, a lot of times I'm not bidding against other people. I'm just still just got to come up with a fair number and and they trust me. Sure, sure. And that that only comes from hard work and, you know, you know, building building your reputation and basically never putting out stuff that is substandard is something that you you just have to do and you have that in you and that's awesome. Yeah, and that's even that's really hard about knives, you know. It's like cause you keep watching like maybe you get on Instagram and you start seeing the next level guy and how they're all of a sudden the journeyman smith, the master smith and like looking at their details and like it takes a lot of time to get those details. And it's like, and the price has to go with that. And if you don't have the market for that, I, it's really hard. Absolutely. And the other thing is like, yes, when you're first going or when you're first making knives or whatever, you're looking at the best of the best and you're comparing what you're doing against the best of the best. And you're, it's easy to get downtrodden and being like, oh, well, there's no chance I'll ever be to that level. And the real trick is just finding the person who's just one step ahead of you and get to their level and then find the next person ahead of you and get to their level. So when you were first getting into it, did you have somebody that you looked up to that you, you know, really were, you know, pushing yourself to get to? No, I think, yeah, I think as soon as the internet came along, it was like, you just, you see amazing different levels of work and start seeing, and you kind of know where your skills are at and you just kind of always are pushing it. Gotcha, gotcha. Have you ever done collaboration work with other people that, you know, really pushed you to up your game? Yeah, so I do a lot of collaboration with not necessarily metal workers, but, you know, other woodworkers, other, like, blown glass guys, uh, you know, stone guys. And that's that's what the cool stuff about these, you know, you get under these big, cool trophy homes. Maybe we're making a big table or... But that's most of my collaboration. Um, no, I'm sorry, I've done some work with a big... Uh, a really talented pipe welder would do some like 16, 18 inch pipe. And he made some frames with me. Gotcha. In some of the midway years. Oh yeah. What, what kind of, what project was that on? Like I, I imagine it must've been a cool collaboration. Yeah. He, we did an archway together and I, I it's put some sculptural elements like my animals onto his pipe frame. Okay. Um, since then I've kind of just been doing the giant pipe stuff myself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, do you have a person or do you have a project that you would love to do? Like, is there, is there something out there that is like, uh, I hope somebody someday asked me to do this project. Oh, probably just more big, like public art sculptures, you know, that okay. you know, like went to, you go to the zoo and you see some big sculpture in front of it and like, you know, I think I could do that. And oh. maybe that's where I want to get someday. I don't know. But no, I think this bridge this summer is probably going to be that. Uh, I think this is going to be a an amazing project for me. 
yeah, I definitely love seeing that you have this really large project ahead of you. And I, I'm excited to see how it turns out and what you do to kind of like push yourself to the next level on it because it's such a large project. Yeah, but it's going to be terrifying at times too <laughs> because I've never tackled anything this big, you know, and the budget is going to be, you know. Crazy. Yeah, it's going to be 10 times more than any job I've ever done. So I'm, I'm going to be definitely jumping into deep water. Wow, 10 times more than what you've ever done. I that, think, yeah, probably right in there. That is amazing. That seems like it would be such a daunting task to, because when in life do you, do you have a constant level of work and then all of a sudden you have to up that by 10 times? Yeah. It, well, I mean, I guess it's still my, my level. It's probably the finished price of a project. You know, I mean, I've done some big rails and whatnot that I charge quite a bit of money for. And I think the price on this one is going to be tremendous. I mean, I, I think this job's going to have, you know, $150,000 in concrete in it. So, Whoa. I mean, you know, so that kind of stuff is what I've never jumped into. So are you building the entire bridge by it on its own? Like, what what is what is this project all encompass? Yeah, so I'm going to have to do everything but the engineering. So I'm going to bid the concrete. I'll have a concrete crew that I'm friends with do the concrete work. But, yeah, outside of that, it's going to be on <laughs> me figuring out the, the crane. And the crane's at $700 an hour to lift oh something God. that big. And, yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of exciting, though, um, especially if it all goes well. Have you done construction work like this before? Yeah. So I, I did a 80-foot bridge this this past year. Um, and that's, that's on my Instagram, you know, with a picture of a heron on there. You can kind of see it in some of the images. So I've done that, and it's just, it's really just all relative in size. I mean, the thing's going to be engineered out from the frame structure, so I'll know what size beam to buy and where they want the supports, and then it just has my rail on top, so. See, I assumed when we were talking about it at the beginning of the podcast that the bridge was already there, and you were just doing the rail work. No, I'm going to do the entire thing. <laughs> That's why I'm a little nervous about it. But. Yeah, no joke. Holy cow. So, I mean, obviously, you, you know, thinking about more than just the sculptural artworks that you'll put into the rails, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge? I mean, you said, you know, doing the construct or doing the concrete and the crane and all that fun stuff. Is there any other details that you're like, you still have to figure out? I, there's going to be a lot of details, I think. Um, but no, I think just keeping it structurally and figuring out the logistics of how to get it down there and how many pieces I got to make the bridge in. And I think once that up, this, the sculpture is going to be relatively easy. <laughs> right. Once <laughs> you, know, you get most once fabricators, you get the... most Sorry. fabricators are going to be the opposite. You know, like, oh, I don't know how to do that. We don't, we can't make a three dimensional frog. And I'm like, well, it's no problem. We can do that. <laughs> but, but I mean, I'm, like I said, I've been a welder for a long time. I, you know, I went to school. I was, I was trained to look at prints also. And so that part, okay. it, it all goes together, I think. You just have to look at all the little pieces and not just look at it in one. Right. And it's, it's the old adage of how do you eat an elephant one yeah. bite at a time? One bite right. at a time and it'll, it'll go together. Right. And you also have to balance the, the, planning with the fact that you don't have the bid yet so all the time that you put into it and then you don't get the bid is wasted yep and i yeah 
<laughs> but it's it's cool. I think some of the locals want me to get it, so you know, and yeah. I'll be bidding. I'll be bidding against a company that's coming from across the state line. You know, probably someone oh. coming out of like Utah, and uh, so that part it's going to be hard to compete with me. I mean, I'm just down the road. Like this, this yeah. thing's four miles from my house. And, and uh, also, you know, they I'm sure they have a little bit of a pull to, you know, help the local guy instead of yeah. the outsiders. Yeah, and that's what they were all kind of excited too, because it's in the grant proposals. It's like, you know, what is this gonna do to the local economy? What is it, you know, how's it gonna help? And you bring in a big company that's just gonna bring in their own people and you know, they're gonna pay for some hotel rooms and some meals, but that's it. This is right. Everybody that's gonna touch this bridge is gonna be a local. That's you know, awesome. local crew, local the crane company's local. It's so we're going to be able, and, and that's the way a lot of these projects should be done. I'm always amazed at when they bring, you know, construction crews from a thousand miles away to do some local project. Well, there's always, you know, if, if their prices are drastically lower than yours, yep. the bean pusher is always going to, you know, push, push the decision into, you know, let's go with the cheap option instead of the local option. Yeah. And, but I mean, it's my, the art pull is going to really help too. I mean, the people right. who are going to be voting on this, they'd know what we're going to put at it. And Interesting. I, I, I'm not too worried about it. I think I'm going to get this one. <laughs> I think <laughs> Knock on wood right video. now because I, I don't want to jinx you. Yeah. <laughs> but even if it doesn't, I got lots of other jobs, and um, it seems like I'm really booming. I have a big construction company out of the – so I, I live in this high mountain valley in Colorado. And then, so I'm a, I'm about a two-hour drive from places like Vail and Crested Butte, Aspen, Telluride. So that's where all the, you know, these out-of-towners t- come in with their really fancy weekend ski homes. And that's sure. that's where I do a lot of metal work. And actually, as, as materials get more expensive and everything in life gets more expensive, it seems like I'm having to work more and more for that, that client, clientele. Gotcha. So I'll probably just end up doing more and more of that. What What is your story of like your first time working in somebody else's big, crazy, you know, mansion or whatever the, the big client was? I imagine there was a first one where you had to get your fir- foot in the door with that type of clientele. Yeah. When I was working for the Daryl, when I first started working for him, we did a, the guy, it was the guy that owned the Discovery Channel and Whoa. it was a 30,000 square foot mansion. And I had, I'd never even dreamt a house that big. And, right. You know, I got lost in the house and we worked in that house for two years doing metal work. Oh, my goodness. And then somewhere after that, I went out on my own. And then it took a long time. Or to, you know, it took a took a year or so to find start finding some of my own type clientele like that. And then, yeah, it is crazy. Then all of a sudden you're working for some really unique people with some amazing. I work for a guy out of Evergreen and his art collection is is just unreal. You know, and I, I'd find myself welding in the same room as Picasso's and Matisse's. Whoa! <laughs> so, and I'd be working on a handrail while that painting's across the room. And oh my God, you have to put up something between. <laughs> like, yeah, could you imagine did. if a if a rogue welding spark went across and you know ruined a Monet? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen too often. That client was special, and that when I worked for him for like five to ten years, and then. I haven't worked for him for a while, but yeah, one day I was doing a curtain rod and I was screwing the wall in and then the, the owner had came into the house and asked some of his people like where was needed to talk to Ira and they found out where he was and he freaked out and came running in and then he told me to freeze, don't move. And this is before I knew what a Matisse was and I was drilling a hole in the drywall and this Matisse painting was like 
a foot and a half away from it. <gasps> yeah. So, we, but then he just calmly is like, "Yeah, could you pick that off the wall?" And so I got to pick up the Matisse and walk it across oh the room. Oh my god! And, do it. and it was just a—it was like a strange painting. Of course, I didn't know at the time either. And it was right. just a woman with one boob hanging sure. out, and I didn't think much of it. But oh and he my was gosh. like, "Yeah, that's the top art piece on the pro- on the entire house." Oh my god! And Did I he tell you that. a price point on it? No. Are you allowed? Oh no, he would because. Say anything. I have too much anxiety to even be in the same room as that type of stuff, let alone working on something that, yeah. you know, could potentially destroy that type of a piece. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but normally most of my clients just have fancy everything, but nothing, nothing like the artwork on that guy's house. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other really close calls, like almost destroying that? Well, not almost destroying, but like having, having a close call, like, Hey, you're drilling right next to this, you know, possibly multi-million dollar piece no not too much on that i mean others just big construction mistakes you know i've i've drilled into the floor and hit in floor water heating and oh. you know head geysers come up and but this that guy's sculpture collection is like the next level okay um, all right he was just this eccentric billionaire well you know <laughs> like people you meet every day for sure yeah. <laughs> no i think if i do this the rest of my life i'll never meet another guy quite like that one yeah for sure for sure so if you don't end up getting this giant project for the next year do you have a couple other projects lined up just just waiting in the wings in case that falls through yeah and it's it's a these really big projects is kind of a problem with them because how do you turn away you don't want to just turn away the other jobs that are going to come in while you're working on this one so I'm still going to have to take on some other jobs while this is going on. So that's that's a real issue, actually. Because, mm. um, you you know, you just turn away people, turn away all your clients for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, two years from now, then, like, who are you working for? It probably right. won't be an issue. But, no, I'll continue. You know, my main client, this contractor in Crested Butte, is, is always has three or four houses going, big houses. So gotcha. I'll, I'll gotcha. have plenty of work. Um, it, it, it will be probably a little more work than I want next summer, though. Gotcha. Like I said, I'll, sure. have well, to, I'll have to hire some more help and find some people. Well, I mean, having too much work is a lot better than the opposite. Yeah, that's what they say, but it gets a little stressful with people calling you asking where their stuff is. And Sure. But. So I imagine if you do end up getting this giant bridge, we won't probably see too many knives come out of your shop next year. No, we'll still be playing around with it. I, I want to keep knives kind of on the fun side. And that yeah. was a problem. As soon as Forge and Fire hit, I got a lot of knife orders. And I don't, yeah. you know, it was hard to keep up with them. And then same deal. I was trying to, like, figuring out prices. And then I found myself working for really cheap compared to what I would be working as and some of the rails and whatnot. But um, they're fun. They're, they're fun to just take a quick photo of a knife and hand it out. And just a good change of pace. So, no, I think I'll keep doing it. I really like playing with like weird Damascus and making unique stuff. So I'm looking at your Instagram right now. I'm seeing this, this cue my billet with the Integra bolster and then a line of copper behind it and the copper pin. And it's just incredible. It's, it's really, really high level work, of course, because it's coming out of higher housework. Of course, of course it's, it's high level, but you know, it's amazing to me that, you know, so it, it wasn't that long ago and you were just getting into knife making. You're already at this level. 
Yeah, well, I mean, knife making really, it really hands itself well to just an all-around metal worker. You start just sure. understanding how steel works, how's it moved, what's going on. Like, I mean, yeah, like you don't see integral bolsters on kumais. And it's because you, you can't hammer, you got to hammer on them really in certain ways or they just want to totally delaminate and fall apart. Sure. So, but, yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed with your chef knives is like, it seems like your standard chef knife is this type of harpoon clip. What, what pushed you into that direction? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I did too many of the harpoons. I guess I do. I don't know. I kind of try to make them all look a little different. Lately, it's been like more of a K-tip on the end. And I've done a few harpoon clips early on because I thought they looked really cool. I haven't gotcha. made one for a little while, but. Gotcha. I don't know. I just, I like curves. I like different lines. I. Hey man, it's, it's, you, you have the artistic eye. So, you know, if it, if it looks good to you, it's going to look phenomenal to everyone else. Yep, so, um, I guess what, if you were to have a, a rogue week where you have nothing else to do, which it sounds like you're never, ever going to have, but, and you can dedicate all of your time to this, of this rogue week, to just building a knife for yourself, is there some sort of like a crazy knife that you've always wanted to try to make? Or would you just continue on these chef knives? No, I think eventually on my list, I want to do like a really crazy integral bolster and pommel Greek copus. That's on my Whoa, list. Oh, there like you I go. Wanna like, I want to hammer like a mule head into the pommel, you know, all out <laughs> of one piece. And uh, it's going to happen one of these days. I think I went when I went on Forge and Fire. I was like, I somehow in my mind, I was like, yeah, they're gonna have me do a Greek copus because I think I saw <laughs> one another episode. And I was like, oh, I could nail that. Uh, mm. Didn't happen, but I think I think it might be really fun to show off some blacksmithing on a copus. For sure, for sure. Um, I guess. I mean, is is there is there anything else like what what about the details of this Greek copus really draws you to it? I think, I think just being able to do that integral pommel, you know, integral pommels okay. you don't see too much of. I've made a few chef knives with them. I think that would be fun. And, and then it may not be totally made one piece. I may, you know, stick on some pieces on the front end and do some sort of a mosaic. I don't know. Um, sure. I've just started to play around a little bit more with mosaics here recently. I've got a few going in the shop. I have lots of unfinished knives in the shop. It's an issue <laughs> I have. Like, I get to the first stage really quickly, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting on 20 blades that need to be finished. So, well, you'll start seeing some photos of those eventually here. <laughs> well, with your with your day job being, you know, blacksmithing and doing all that fun stuff for, you know, big projects like that, I imagine you probably don't take orders for your knives. You just make them and sell them as they come out. No, if the right order comes along, I'll take it. Okay, um, all right. I'll, I'll entertain them. I'm not going to say no, like everybody I see these on these pages, books are closed. Um, I'll take some. I, I do think, though, this winter, I'm, I've been working over my website. I'm not happy with my website. I, I think I like, uh, I kind of like how I've been watching, like, Riley Kirkpatrick do it. Um, he's got his little website, and he just said, like, all right, I'm going to do a drop. Here it is. Mm. And I think I have enough followers on it, Facebook and people that like, that want my stuff constantly, that I think I can just make something weird and and maybe my wife can be a part of it where she can be like, fine, put a price tag on it. See if you can sell it, <laughs> you know? Sure. And then same with you and Emily. Like, okay, Emily, here, this is yours. <laughs> put the price on it. 
then it's on her shoulders right and then you know she she is the you know objective or not the objective but like the third party where it's like it, it feels like when you make something yourself and you know what all went into it it's easy to be like oh well i only did this that and the other and i've done it a thousand times so it's not really that big of a deal yeah. So having a person who hasn't worked on it put the price on it is definitely a smart way to go. Yeah, and I think with knives that might be really slick too. Is if I can have just like one or two, three or four, I don't know, maybe an axe or something on there that'll just sit there and see if it sells. And I run housework axe. Oh, wanna... I've been playing around with some axes lately too because I have a press now since winning Forge and Fire, and you know, a press makes making an axe a little bit nicer and easier. Tell me about your design on this axe, because I imagine, you know, just like everything you do, it's going to be unique. Yeah, no, I think it's, I don't know, I'm just trying to, I don't know, how much can you make an axe super unique? I'm trying to make them more just functional. Um, well, somebody, a lot of people axe. would say, a lot of people would say, well, how do you make a knife unique? Every, it's just a sharp end and a handle. Yep. And yet, a lot of them are crazy unique, so, you know. Yeah, and I, that just barely started. I, a few weeks ago, I made a couple axes, and I was like, okay, okay this is kind of fun. All right. But made them out of some 4140, and um, I don't know. They seem to work pretty well, and I don't know. Same deal. I that probably went down the rabbit hole on Instagram looking at other axe makers and like, okay, I can do that. That's cool. For Let's sure, make a for few sure. Of those. Do you have, have you ever gotten into the rabbit hole of making hammers? I've made quite a few hammers, and I actually started – I made my first hammer when I first started blacksmithing. All right. Um, and, and then over the years, made several hammers, and then same deal. Yeah, I, so I got the new press, and it's a hammer eye, which normally pretty big process on a press with a hammer eye drift is just like, oh, you just stick it in there and bang, bang. And sure. I mean, you got to make sure it stays square and straight to everything. But, uh, yeah, so I've been making some hammers, and – yeah, go ahead and tell me about your your shop in general because yeah, obviously you have welders, you've got your 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 press or your power hammer. Um, you know, wh what all do you use on a regular basis that you absolutely couldn't live without? Yeah, so I have several, you know, basically all forms of welders. Um, I think probably a wire feed welder is the main thing that uses hard. Um, power hammer, I've got a press. Uh, my shop's first off it's a 35 by 80 building all and, right uh, it's just slowly filling up with stuff <laughs> and, and i still need more um i have limited three phase i don't have full three phase wiring but uh yeah if I you know. got a little bit of everything on tooling still need to upreach you know i need a better milling machine and okay that was going to be my next question was, you know, if you, is there something that you're looking for that would really up your game? Is there tooling that you absolutely need in your shop next? You know, I think I'd love to have a bigger power hammer. I think so would everybody though, you know, get some. What kind 20... of a power hammer do you currently have in there? So I have a big blue um, and it's fine. It does, a, it does great stuff. It makes the job easy. Uh, but I just kind of, you know, power hammers, I think you just kind of get whatever just happens to kind of fall in your laps and what you can find. Mm. Um, unless you really want to throw the big money at it and go try to find on some blacksmith site some Chambersburg for twenty to $30,000. Right. And, you know, that's not that easy to, to come by. Um, so no. a bigger power hammer would always, you know, take your level to the next 
your sure. work to the next level. Um, I'd like, I mean, I was trained to be a machinist, so I'd like to have a better quality mill. My lathe's okay. Um, what kind but, of yeah. a mill are you currently working in? Oh, just a small, small combo thing. Okay. Just like one of those tabletop styles? No, it's a next level, bigger size, made by a smithy, and it, it, it's not it's not very precise. My mill, my lathe is a little better, but it's, 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 no. But I also don't make my money with the machines, uh, the milling machines and machine work. It's, the blacksmith is, still needs to have the priority and welding machines because that's what works, but. I'd love to have a mill to do certain little projects or like, you know, working on a bolster or something. I watch those guys take a little eighth inch mill with a precision little, you know, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. And also being able to get like, for me personally, I, I cannot wait to get my hands on a mill just so that I can start working in folders, you know, yeah. the, 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 the folding, the, the intricacy of trying to figure out the geometries and the, you know, precision of that is just something that has been been calling to me for a long time, but that's that's going to be a long ways out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know. You never know when something's going to just fall in your lap or you'll see something on Craigslist for, you know, it doesn't happen often. No, but... it never happens. <laughs> Especially up here. There's none of that up here in Michigan. I, I found a little giant power hammer super cheap one time, and that was that's been a while. Oh yeah. I think the internet makes it harder. I think people just know what stuff's worth now. They just Google it and like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, there's so many people getting into knife making and, you know, metalworking in general as a hobby that there's the market, the the buyer, you know, the amount of buyers out there trying to find these machines have gone up so much that the supply the supply are has stayed the same, but the demand has gone way the hell up. So yeah, of course the prices it's, it's are going to rise. Unreal, and I say sure. I, I've been I've been looking for anvils for twenty five years, and they just don't come around. Yeah, I mean you can yeah. you can kind of find one online, but it's really expensive, you know. I, but no, I've bought like three anvils, and they've really nothing to brag about since the time I've been doing this. Well, what well, anvils, my main what's... oh so my main anvil is my granddad's anvil. He bought okay, it, and it's not a big anvil. It's a you know one hundred and fifty pound anvil. Sure. But I've got it mounted to a heavy base, which, you know, helps with the mass. And uh, I a lot of work comes off that 150-pound anvil. Sure. But and it was cool. It was my granddad's. And uh, now I wish I could go back in time and hand my granddad a $100, $200 bill and be like, hey, let's up that one. When you go to buy that anvil, <laughs> back then, what they cost. Uh, right, right. For sure. But I imagine that you get a lot of just like, hey, my granddad worked on this anvil and like – you know the the feeling of this has been in my family for multiple generations has got to it's 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 got to be heartwarming for sure. No, it's great, and it's actually it's a good anvil. It's a Arm and Hammer, okay. And so it's got a forge welded top high speed you know high carbon steel top plate that's about a half inch thick across, and it's a uh, you know it's a it's a great little anvil. There you go. There you go. So finding your your first anvil after that how long did it take you to you know research and find you know, your, your next anvil past that one? Oh, it the, the animals i've stumbled across are there's nothing special though like that's my arm and hammer is my best anvil i've got um I, gotcha. i'll have people contact me every once in a while and they're like trying to sell me their fifteen hundred dollar right. beat up <laughs> anvil that really is nothing special uh yeah <laughs> I think the days of, of fine. 
not I'd a flat a level game. on it. There's there's chips yeah. out of everything. The horn is half, you know, plasma cut off. <laughs> and I think eventually I'll buy a bigger anvil and, and utilize it. But I I think when I do, I'll probably just going to go buy one of these brand new ones. You know, I think for the money, I think they look like they're a better deal. Honestly, I feel like that's the move at this point. There's so many anvil makers that are still making anvils, and they're they're decent priced and they're perfectly crisp. Yep. So like, ugh, these these antique ones are are it's it's really just like a showpiece at this point. Yeah, and it's fun. It's fun to have. I mean, I'd love to have some old German pattern anvil. I mean, they're just they're beautiful. But yeah, of course. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna go spend three thousand bucks on it. <laughs> man i got so lucky with the one that i found it was in an antique store which is totally like whenever you see an anvil on in the antique store it's it's like you see it and you have to run the other direction because it's going to be way overpriced and i just happened to find a hundred hundred and fifty some pound hay button and it was 600 bucks it was like you know it, everything was relatively crisp it looked pretty decent I had been looking, I had been in the market for a decent anvil for about a year and a half because I was working on one of those Harbor Freight 50 pound ones. Mm -hmm. So it's like that 600 bucks is like burning a hole in my pocket when I saw it because it was like, you know, you go from a Harbor Freight up to a Hey Budden. <laughs> it's, it's not even remotely in the same category. So no, and 600 bucks is a lot of money right now for, for an anvil, but not now. I think now right. I think that was just dirt cheap. Right. It was yeah. definitely... But what I'm trying to get to, is there anything when you're first getting into it? Because, you know, you work for somebody, so I imagine you had a lot of your tools, you know, provided by them. But when you opened up your own place, is there, is there something that really, like, you spent the money on, on a welder, for instance, and it just absolutely changed the game for you because you're working on crap? Yeah, so I started out with that little stick welder. Um AC stick welder and then so jumping you know doing decorative work a wire feed is just going to be quick it's cleaner it's you know for production wise and then pretty soon you need to buy a plasma torch and I don't know you just start chipping away at it baby steps yeah. and buying a piece when you can and I got lucky too I was also I was a single guy at the time and so when money when a check came in a good portion of that check went right back into my shop Sure. You could live dirt cheap and spend all your yeah. money on tools. I live for my I live with my mom and dad for two years there after college and that also really helped. You know, just to be able to put everything I had back into the shop. Yeah, that is absolutely key for sure because it, it just accelerates have being able to reinvest into your business that early on just I imagine skyrocketed your abilities. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Ira, I just want to thank you again for sitting down for the podcast and doing this interview. So I guess we already talked a little bit before, but where can people find you? Um, yeah, on all the socials, just under Ira Housewert, uh, website, coloradoblacksmith.com. And yeah. Sweet, Ira. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. You have an open door if you ever want to come back for another interview. I'm here for you, man. I appreciate you. No, thanks so much for having me on, Brian. It was great. I, uh, keep at it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, guys, I hope you all have a fantastic working week. This is Ira Housework. Go and check out, support him on all the social medias, and I will talk to you guys later. Have a good one.